tonight here at the end of our Good Friday journey through Mark's narration of the passion of Christ. I just want to ask one question together. And that question is, what would make an unbelieving outsider like the centurion look upon Jesus of Nazareth and conclude, truly, this man was the Son of God? If you just notice, that's where Mark concludes his story of the death of Jesus. With the confession of a centurion, of all people, that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. How in the world does that happen? Well, first of all, what is a centurion? A centurion is a Roman military officer. He's a commander of of centuries, literally hundreds of troops, thus the name centurion. He's a professional soldier who serves at the will of the state. And the will of the Roman state is often to execute the enemies of the state. In this case, Jesus of Nazareth, who was condemned by the Jews and handed over to the Romans for capital punishment. So the centurion is Jesus' executioner. He's a collaborator in the death of the Son of God. This is not his first execution. He has perhaps overseen hundreds of executions by means of a cross. This is Rome's preferred and cruel and barbaric method of capital punishment. But this, this execution was different. This one caught his attention. Religiously speaking, a centurion is a Gentile. He's a pagan. He's an outsider who is separated from Christ. He's alienated from God's people. He's a stranger to the covenants of promise. He has no hope without God in this world. And yet, this is the first human being in the Gospel of Mark to look at Jesus and conclude that he indeed is the Son of God. The centurion is the most unlikely convert. The last person we would expect to voice the fullest understanding of Jesus' identity. Now to be clear, Mark told us from the very beginning of his Gospel in the foreword, He knew he was the Son of God. He started the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God the Father announced at Jesus' baptism, speaking over him from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Even the demons in the gospel confess that Jesus is the Son of God, as in Mark 1.24, where they say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But no other human being in all of Mark's gospel has made such a confession. Sure, the Apostle Peter got close. In this dramatic event in Mark chapter 8, he confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, that is, the long-awaited Jewish king. But even Peter stopped short of calling him the Son of God. No other human being in the entire gospel acknowledges Jesus to be the divine Son of God until this unbelieving outsider. The centurion of all people is Mark's star witness the conclusion of his gospel. Mark told us at the beginning, and now the centurion tells us at the end, truly, this man was the Son of God. What is it that led him to this conclusion? This confession stands out. It jumps off the page at us, not only because he is a centurion, but also because it disrupts the flow of the responses to Jesus in the Passion narrative. Do you notice that? From the beginning of our readings tonight, Mark has narrated the responses that people had to Jesus at every stage of his crucifixion. 
first before the Sanhedrin, where inside the courts the Jewish leaders condemn him to death. They begin to spit on him, cover his face, and strike him, saying, prophesy, which one of us hit you? At the same time, outside the Sanhedrin, in the courtyard, the Apostle Peter, the disciple of disciples, denies that he even knows him. Secondly, the scene moves to before Pontius Pilate, and in that scene, the crowds are shouting for his death, and the Roman guards dress him up like a king, except they put a crown of thorns on him. They mock him. They kneel before him. They say, Hail, King of the Jews, and they strike him, and they spit on him, and then they strip him and lead him out to the cross. The third scene is the crucifixion itself, where Mark records the response of the bystanders. He writes, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from that cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him, even the robbers on both sides, also reviled him. So then, when we come to this fourth scene, when Jesus breathes his last and dies, everything in you expects the same human response. The same mockery, the same hostility, the same cruelty has been throughout the whole story. But instead, we get the centurion. Truly, this man was the son of God. This is an incredible turn of events. You saw it. Scene one, mockery. Scene two, mockery. Scene three, mockery. Scene four, adoration. Scenes one through three, rejection. Scene four, Acceptance. Scenes one through three, unbelief. Scene four, faith. So I again ask you, what, what would make the centurion's response to Jesus different than everyone else's, even the disciples? Perhaps it was the strange phenomena that accompanied Jesus' death, like the fact that there was darkness in the middle of the afternoon. Surely that will get your attention. Maybe the centurion, maybe that's what got his attention. But as a Roman, the centurion would have likely heard other stories of similar phenomena when important people died. Daytime darkness was reported by no less than three historians when the great Julius Caesar was assassinated. So this phenomenon might mean to the centurion that the universe is recognizing that Jesus was an important person, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that he is the Son of God. No, brothers and sisters, it's not the phenomena that convinces the centurion. It's not any other signs and wonders. It is one thing and one thing alone. It is Jesus' death on the cross. You heard it. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. That's how the story unfolds for us tonight. While he lives, humanity thirsts for his death, but when he dies, the first human to witness it finds in him the way, the truth, and the life. Why is this? Why the change? Because of this powerful detail in verse 37. 
And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The centurion might, even know what, might not even know what this means, but the students of Scripture do. The curtain is what separates uh, sinners from, uh, from the holy presence of God. It was a barrier. It was a symbol, a necessary separation that exists because of our sin and our rebellion against God. It was a protection, really, to protect us from being consumed by the blazing glory of God. You could not enter. Only the priests could go in as your representative, and only if he brought a sacrifice for your sins. But now, this curtain, brothers and sisters, is torn in two from top to bottom, meaning by the hand of God. Which is the most dramatic way possible to say, get rid of the barrier. Jesus has opened up the way to God through his own flesh. Get rid of the sacrifices for sin. Jesus has made the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. In fact, get rid of the temple. The presence of God is now unleashed upon the whole world. Get rid of the separation. Sinners are now welcome into the holy presence of God. And the first person to walk through that torn curtain is the centurion. Did, he, did the centurion understand all this when he looked upon the death of Jesus? Probably not. But the Spirit allowed him to see something that others didn't. The centurion's only other category for son of God would have been the Roman Caesar. His boss's boss's boss. The Caesar called himself a son of God. He was a king. He was a king who used his power to oppress and, and willed people into submission. But here, Jesus is a different king who lays down his life for his people, who uses love to spread the reign of his kingdom. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says this, the cross must mean that the very nature of power, of God's exercise of power, of the power that rules the world, has been so radically redefined that most people simply won't recognize it. As Isaiah said, who would have believed that Jesus was the arm of the Lord? This isn't what power looks like in our world. No, but this was the whole point. Power has been turned upside down. So, brothers and sisters, this is how it works for all of us. When we first see that we are, in fact, the centurion, we are the outsiders, we are the enemies of God, we are the executioners who are responsible for his death. It was our sin, our shame, that put him on that cross. But friends, it is, it is the manner in which he dies. His life for ours. His death instead of ours. His love even for his enemies. That convinces us that this is a king like no other. That truly this is the son of God. It's all about the cross. The cross that is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks and an embarrassment to us moderns. But for those with eyes to see... For those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God to bring us to himself. Paradoxically, it is the cross that draws people to Jesus. As Jesus himself promised in John's gospel that when he is lifted up, he says, then you will know truly who I am. 
then I will draw all manner of people to myself. The centurion is the first in a long line of unlikely converts. From the Apostle Paul to Augustine to C.S. Lewis to you and to me. Ever find yourself sort of surprised and to discover that you are in fact a Christian? I am. It was an undergrad at Harvard University who became one of these unlikely converts. And she recounts in her own words that it all hinged on how she saw the cross. She writes, This theme of love as sacrifice for true good, for true good it struck me. The cross no longer seemed a grotesque symbol of divine sadism, but a remarkable act of love. And Christianity began to look less strangely mythical and more cosmically beautiful. The cross, the cross no longer looked merely like a symbol of love, but like the answer to an incurable need. That's it, brothers and sisters. That is the answer to our one question tonight. What would make an unbelieving outsider like the centurion, like you and me, like your co-workers and your neighbors, look upon Jesus of Nazareth and conclude, truly, this man was the Son of God? It's only the cross. Only the cross. Only the cross leads you to believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen.